The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. This is the Main Street Vegan Program, and true, we don't usually ohm here. But today, we are supporting the Pass the Ohm Project, started by Dharma Yoga of New York City and legendary vegan yogi Sri Dharma Mitra. The invitation is to make a donation of $1 or more to the United Nations COVID-19 Response Fund.org to support frontline workers and then to record an ohm of your own on social media and encourage others to pass the ohm. We'll put more information on that in the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. And welcome, everyone. I am your host, Victoria Moran. After the break, we will bring back a favorite Dr. Michael Clapper, always a voice of reason, experience, and compassion. And right now, we will address a topic that we have not looked at on this program for several years, and that is the plight of horses in the racing industry with Patrick Batuello of Horse Racing Wrongs, a 501c3 that is the nation's only organization clearly and consistently working to end horse racing in the United States. Through their unprecedented Freedom of Information Act reporting, they have compiled irrefutable evidence, including an annual killed-in-action list that exposes the horse racing industry for what it is. Horse Racing Wrongs has been featured in Forbes, USA Today, The Guardian, The Boston Herald, and more. Welcome, Patrick Batuello. Hi, Victoria. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. This is certainly something that we should be looking at, and as I said, have not done in a while. So uh, excellent timing. So first, let's just get a little bit personal. How did you get interested in this issue? Sure. So about uh, five or six years ago, I was writing an animal rights blog 
for our local newspaper here in upstate New York, Albany. And I, when I came to the topic of horse racing and started doing some research, I found that there was really a dearth of information out there. I found that no individual, no organization was really taking this industry on. And I kind of fell into it. I, I felt, felt like there was a void in the animal rights community on this, that racehorses were being sorely underrepresented. And I decided to, to fill that void. And it sounds as if you really have. I mean, your uh, list of press credentials is, is very impressive. And, and thank goodness. And I'm sure the horses thank you for that. So just educate those of us who, who really know nothing about this issue. Can you start a little bit with just horse racing as a so-called sport? How long has it been on the scene? How much has it changed over the years? What are we actually looking at here? Sure. So that is our, our biggest uh, hurdle, Victoria, on this issue. Uh, really, it's unique within animal rights in that this is viewed as a sport by most Americans. We're conditioned from birth to think of it as a sport. It's uh, covered you know, by uh, NBC Sports, ESPN named Secretariat, the 35th greatest athlete of the 20th century. It's been on the cover of Sports Illustrated numerous times. Um, in fact, in our own area here in upstate New York, Saratoga Racecourse bills itself the oldest sporting venue in the nation, going all the way back to the Civil War. Um, so that is our, our biggest hurdle. In fact, this is no different than greyhound racing. Um, if anything, horse racing is worse because of slaughter, which we'll certainly get into. Um, but again, this resembles no other accepted sport on the planet. You know, these animals are enslaved. They do not consent to their participation. They are kept locked in tiny 12 by 12 stalls for over 23 hours a day. They are drugged and doped. They are beaten with a whip and they are dying routinely on the so-called playing field. Um, and of course, the majority of them, once they are done, end up at the slaughterhouse. So I defy any reasonable human being to find an analogy in the sporting world. I think that that is something that uh, you're, you're not going to find. That That is, I, I mean, I knew these things intellectually, but just hearing you recite them in a row, that that's absolutely uh, sobering. So, so you've started already to answer this question, but what really makes this such a compelling issue, not just for vegans and animal rights people, but it, for people in general, because we all say we love dogs, cats, and horses, but something's going wrong here. Uh, absolutely. And again, this has flown under the radar, you know, for over 100 years, you know, because mainly it's given cover under the banner of sport. Um, most of the ugliness happens out of the public eye. Um, if at all possible, a horse who breaks down on the track is loaded onto a van and euthanized uh, safely away from the viewing public and the press. It's only when we came on the scene back in 2013 and started filing FOIA requests with each of the racing states did we fully find out the extent of the carnage. And it is carnage. I want to make that clear. Well, I use that word and I stand behind it 100 percent. 
uh, over 2,000 horses, over 2,000 are killed racing or training on American tracks every year. In addition, hundreds more die back in their stalls from things like colic and laminitis. And again, these are still very much active horses waiting for the next race. And again, the vast majority of these animals, once their so-called careers have come to an end are shipped to the slaughterhouse, multiple thousands annually. So we're looking at anywhere between 15 to 20,000 horses killed in America for $2 bets. So it is carnage. It is carnage, my goodness. So you mentioned horse racing states. In how many states uh, does this exist? Uh, roughly, there are 35 states or so that uh, regularly run races. Um, certainly there are, you know, states that, that do more of it than others. New York, Kentucky, California, Florida, Louisiana would be the big racing states. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's uh, again, it's firmly entrenched in our society. Um, but I am certainly heartened by progress, especially over the, the past year. This issue is finally getting its just due and getting attention. So I feel like we're heading in the right direction. Well, I think everyone is aware of problems at a particular track. I think that's Santa Ana. And there was a lot of, of news about that. And I was wondering, as we were seeing all that, is this just the most awful racetrack that has ever been? Or is it fairly typical and we're just hearing about this one? Excellent question, Victoria. Uh, so number one, Santa Anita averages 50 dead horses every year. So when this news started breaking last spring, they were around 20, 25 at the time. And I started fielding multiple media requests. What's going on in Santa Anita was the question. Um, and I said, look at, this is business as usual. This is not a spike or a spate. It's not an anomaly. This is business as usual. Santa Anita averages 50 dead. Now, Santa Anita is not unique. Santa Anita is the rule. Horses die at every racetrack across America. And there is no one track that is better or safer than the other. And I like to point out when people are trying to dig into this issue and find out where horses are dying more frequently, that we, we must look at this as a single entity, a league, if you will, rather than track by track or even state by state. These horses are constantly being shuffled among various owners and trainers, transported from track to track and state to state. So a horse could be run into the ground, say at Golden Gate Fields, which is also in California, maybe even incur a microfracture of some sort, shipped to Santa Anita, breaks down in his first race there, and the death will go on the Santa Anita ledger. But in fact, this is an industry death. Every death is an industry death. So Santa Anita is not unique. So the question, going back to your question, um, why this started to resonate with the national media is a great mystery. But for, you know, for whatever reason, it, it, it happened. It took root and it has not let up. We are at the point now in California, obviously, there's, there's not much racing going on because of uh, the coronavirus. But prior to the virus, every death in California and any of the tracks there was being reported by the media. 
which is unprecedented. You know, we've had starts and stops over the years where we would get some traction um, on a particular track, uh, say here in New York at Saratoga or Aqueduct, would get some attention, but eventually it would subside. We're seeing that this is not subsiding, that had the media is fully engaged and by extension, the public is engaged. Uh, well, that is some excellent progress. Now, just so that those of us who are not in this world understand, there is the horse racing at these tracks we've all heard about, and we've all heard of the Triple Crown and that sort of thing. But there are other ways that humans use horses for so-called sport. So are we including everything in this? I mean, I understand as animal rights people, of course we are, but just so that the general public can understand, are, are these atrocities happening in, in like Olympic horse events and, you know, carriage, whatever sure. they do around a track? I'm not familiar with that, with that world, but I'm just trying to get a sense of what we're looking sure. at and how much of it. No, that's a good question, Victoria. Now, of course, full disclosure, uh, I'm vegan. Um, I believe in the animal rights philosophy. Uh, all of it is wrong from our perspective, but horse racing wrongs as an organization is laser focused on horse racing. Uh, this is where we are able to get hard data. It's very difficult to get information on those other so-called disciplines, the ones you refer to. Um, you know, we do know that carriage horses, you know, have died in the line of duty. Uh, we do know that horses die in eventing and dressage and jumps. Um, but we are focused on horse racing. Okay. And how much do people know? I mean, how far into this industry or whatever it's called, does somebody have to get before you start to see, oh my God, this is terrible. You know, I knew someone years ago who was fascinated by the idea of horse racing and he had the means to purchase some horses, which he did. But as he got further into it and as he was about to sell some of these horses or however it works, he saw things and he wasn't even an animal rights person at the time, but what he saw about horse racing made him keep every one of those horses, not put any of them in for racing, and also eventually become a, a proponent of animal rights. So does do people who go to the racetracks know this? Do the people who are there working as groomers or whatever, how widely known is this? Well, I have been uh, contacted by countless people, Victoria, over the years uh, who used to be in horse racing, and even some that are still involved. And they corroborate everything that we report on the website. It, it is ugly and cruel and mean. You know, what you see on Triple Crown Days, Kentucky Derby, even the Breeders' Cup, that is the exception. Uh, that's horse racing on a handful of days. The rest of it, again, is ugly and mean and very deadly. Um, so I don't think it takes much you know for someone you know once they get involved in the industry to see what what is happening to these horses um but unfortunately they are very good at public relations and for like i said at the top the conditioning 
that we have uh, been subjected to as a society in thinking of this as a sport and these animals as athletes um, is very difficult to break through. But I would submit that our work at Horse Racing Wrongs through these FOIA requests um, really rips the, the lid off of this. Uh, you, you can't read our website and come away with anything but the idea that this has to go, that this is a terrible industry and these animals are suffering and dying. And, and I'd like to point out, Victoria, that it's not just names and numbers that we report. We report details. And I uh, challenge people to read through my FOIA reports. I usually start putting these requests in in January and you know, by the end of April, I'm done with, um, you know, with all the states. Um, I get a lot of detail and how these animals are dying. It's not just uh, a simple broken leg. You know, they are dying in, in myriad ways. Um, they snap their necks, they sever their spines, they bleed out from the lungs. Uh, they suffer what are called cardiovascular collapses. Their hearts give out and these are animals who are mostly still in puberty. And of course their limbs are shattered to the point where their bones are sometimes sticking uh, through the skin. Uh, sometimes there are fragments of bones left in the dirt. Uh, it's, it's horrific and people need to read these details. They need to understand that this is what we are doing to these sentient beings you know, for an archaic gambling business. Well, that was the next thing I was going to ask. This evidently all gets back to money for humans. Right. Absolutely. This is uh, in the end of business. And as you know, uh, given your work over the years, anytime money and animals mix, the animals lose. Absolutely. Um, you know, you'll, you will hear often if you read enough of, you know, from the racing people that they, they love these animals like their children. They consider them so-called family members. Uh, this is a load of rubbish. Uh, these are commodities, means to an end, things to be used, expended, and in the end, discarded like so much refuse. Uh, the, the bulk of races run in this country are what are called claiming races. A claiming race means that Every horse is for sale prior to the start of the race. So a $5,000 claiming race means that every horse is for sale at that price. So any, any licensed trainer or owner can put a claim in or buy that horse prior to the race. So when I'm at a protest and some owner approaches me and says, oh, you shall come tour my barn and I'll show you how pampered these animals are. They live better than you and me. I asked them, first question is, have you ever put one of your horses in a claiming race? And it almost immediately shuts them down because if they're in racing long enough, they have put horses in claiming races. And so I asked them, you know, would you put your child up for sale? Of course not, it's absurd. Um, so again, this is a business and the animals lose and we are out to end horse racing. And I think you're on the way to doing it. And I hope that you get lots more supporters today from this because you've certainly um, enlightened me. And, and I'm now 
much more educated and, and ready to be involved in this in an active way. So why has horse racing escaped scrutiny for so long? Uh, again, Victoria, it goes back to this notion of sport. Um, it's been almost untouchable. Um, you know, again, when we're looking at Secretariat being called, you know, a great all-time athlete, we don't have that, um, you know, analogy in any of these other industries uh, like greyhound racing. I, I can't name one racing greyhound. Uh, in horse racing, you know, we have just recently American Pharaoh and California Chrome and Justify and uh, you know, people can rattle them off. They don't have to follow horse racing. They know they know the names. Um, the Ringland Elephants were anonymous. The SeaWorld Orcas were anonymous. So we have been fed this uh, this this idea of horse racing as sport, and that's why it has escaped scrutiny. When we first started, people were you know would tell us, "You have no no chance of ending this industry. It's it's too big. It's too powerful. There's too much money." The conversation has changed, has shifted. Um, I would like to think in large part to, to the work that we have done and, and the, the hard data and the facts that we put out there. Uh, now we're at a point where people are questioning whether this has a place in 21st century America. And uh, clearly it doesn't. Um, you know, California, where Santa Anita is located, uh, is, as you know, a very progressive state on uh, animal issues. And I feel that it's, a, it's but a matter of time before the voters out there are given a chance to vote yes or no on horse racing. We will see the same change that we've seen in, with the Greyhounds and uh, with Ring, the Ringland Elephants and the SeaWorld Orcas. Uh, it's, it's, it's only a matter of time. Yes, and I think all of these issues support the others. The idea that animal rights is something Everybody has heard of it, whether or not they agree with it. It is a force to be reckoned with. And every time one industry changes, every time one animal or one species is freed or freer, it, it starts a, a gravitational pull for all the others. So thank you for being so focused on this and these incredible animals. I want to ask you, just as we come uh, a little bit toward our, our end, what are horses like? Just just talk to us. You've told us how they're abused and mistreated, and that's horrible, and we'll talk more about that. But just who are they as beings? Um, they're very intelligent. Obviously, they're, uh, they're sensitive and, and feeling. Um, they have been trusting and so-called loyal. Um, it's why... Horses uh, are, are, it's often said, helped humans build uh, modern society. Um, yeah, they are, they are wonderfully gentle creatures. Um, you know, it, it just makes it all the more heartrending when you think of how we treat them. And, and Victoria, I'd like to just go back to something I said earlier. And I, 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 for me, the worst of it, you know, the, the death is, you know, is, is, is bad enough, but the worst of it is that unremitting solitary confinement that these naturally social herd oriented animals are made to suffer every day. They are stuck again in a 12 by 12 stall for over 23 hours of their day. They're not given time to be a horse. 
you know, uh, time to uh, amble about in an open pasture. Uh, it is the worst of it. You know, at a recent New York State Senate hearing in which I testified, a, a prominent uh, equine vet likened this confinement to keeping a child in a four by four closet for over 23 hours a day. They exhibit the same stereotypies and vices that we saw with the Ringland elephants and SeaWorld orcas, the bobbing, the kicking, the weaving. Um, these are signs of mental and emotional anguish. Uh, it's, it's, it's horrible, again, unremitting suffering. And people really need to, to stop and think about that. It, it goes a lot deeper than just the on-track deaths. It goes a lot deeper than even slaughter. Well, thank you so much for enlightening on this. So listeners, the website is horseracingwrongs.org. That's all run together, Horse Racing Wrongs. And uh, it's also Horse Racing Wrongs on Facebook and on Instagram. And we will put all of the URLs and links for this wonderful organization on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So just in our last uh, minute and a few seconds, what can we do? How can we help you? Uh, absolutely, Victoria. Look, we have sponsored protests at over 25 tracks in some 20 states. So, you know, you could certainly look to see if we have something close enough for you to, to attend. Or if you have a track nearby, please contact us. Nicole Arcello is our executive director, and she, uh, she heads up that, that part of it. Uh, organize a protest, even if it's just five of you out there holding one of our banners. We provide all the all the materials. Uh, you can write letters to the editor. Uh, uh, keeping this issue in the public eye is is so very crucial. And of course, uh, exert pressure on politicians. You know, let them know that this should not stand in 21st century America. We are better than this. We should not be exploiting and killing horses for two dollar bets especially now where there's uh, no excuse when it comes to um, the ability to gamble. Uh, 50 years ago, if you wanted to legally gamble, you had to bet on the horses and dogs. Now you can go to a casino or play the lottery, or soon you'll be able to bet on football, basketball, and baseball, and it's already started in several states. So there's no, no longer an excuse. This, this must end, and this we need to let end. politicians know that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Patrick Batuello and Horse Racing Wrongs. We will be on this with you. God bless you. You're doing such Thank important work. Thank you so much for having me, Victoria. You're welcome. Stay with us, everybody. Dr. Clapper's coming. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. you so much for being with us today. If you'd like to know more about what goes on in the world of Main Street Vegan, do visit MainStreetVegan.net. 
And if you answer the question, you want to be a Main Street vegan, <laughs> you'll get our newsletter and blog. Our blog post this week is by me, and it's called Notes from the Epicenter, Life as a Vegan in New York City During COVID-19. I also want to do a shout out to filmmaker Thomas Jackson and the wonderful film A Prayer for Compassion that if you listen regularly, you know I've been talking about for a couple of years. Well, we are now on Amazon Prime as well as on Vimeo. And if you haven't seen A Prayer for Compassion, it shows how all the religions of the world have been espousing vegan values. They just usually haven't taken them far enough <laughs> so that they look like vegan values. It's a wonderful, uplifting film. I hope you'll watch. And if you like it and could provide a five-star review there on Amazon Prime, then that's more opportunity for the film to be presented as a viewing option for people who weren't specifically looking for that. And also a quick shout out to our sponsor, Compliment. Uh, the lovely people at lovecompliment.com have several products. And I'm just going to talk about the original compliment for people who say, oh, I don't like to take pills. Well, most people don't. But to get the very basics that plant-based people should probably be taking in supplemental form, that's vitamin B12, vitamin D3, and the fully formed omega-3 fatty acids, they have the product called Compliment that is, is just drops, the good tasting drops, and they take care of all of those nutritional needs for you. And if you would like a 10% discount, just put Main Street Vegan all run together in capital letters in the discount box and save yourself some money. And now it is my great pleasure to reintroduce someone that many of you already know, Dr. Michael Clapper. He is leading the Moving Medicine Forward initiative aimed at improving the health of our population by providing nutrition education in medical schools. He brings the Moving Medicine Forward initiative 46 years as a primary care physician, 35 of which centered upon applying plant-based nutrition to arrest and often reverse chronic disease. Welcome, my dear friend, Dr. Michael Clapper. Hi there, Victoria. It's good to be with you and your listeners. Thank you for oh, the invitation. Always wonderful. So during the break, you were referring to this present COVID-19 period as a fine kettle of tofu. How did we get into it and where do we go from here? Oh, my. Uh, well, that's probably the easiest thing, I would think, uh, in that uh, how we got into it, um, ask any uh, pig or cow or chicken in a, uh, in a factory farm shed, they'll tell you. Um, this all, uh, when you step back, is a Western Union telegram from the animals uh, saying, listen, you, you, you've been treating us so uh, unnaturally all these years. You can find thousands of us into a, into a big building where we're sick and coughing on each other and sharing viruses. Some, some evil virus is going to jump out of here. And uh, this certainly seems to happen. And in the natural world, we push into, uh, into the uh, rainforest. We shoot the monkeys or, or the, the loggers do or whatever and uh, eat the monkey meat. And and Ebola and HIV came out of that. 
and uh, you coop up the pigs and the chickens and you wind up with um, you know, with flu viruses and, and SARS and MERS, etc. These are all animal viruses. Uh, this one seems to have come from bats, uh, whether or not it went through, through a lab, in, a virus lab in Wuhan, China. Um, if it did, it was in that lab because they knew they were selling coronavirus infested bats in the market two blocks away and that it was going to get out and they wanted to develop a vaccine or something against it. Um, all this is coming uh, from our mistreatment of animals. This is all a message to start living in harmony with the with the living world. And uh, we don't need to eat animal flesh. And this this is red lights and sirens saying stop already. And uh, and all this will go away. Adopt a more plant based diet and abolish slaughterhouses and factory farms. And this will be the last virus we have to deal with. So. Uh, so this is uh, all about um, uh, animal exploitation, and uh, and I and I hope we get the message. It's time to change. It's a massive thing, uh, as you know, to change the eating habits of America. But uh, that is exactly you know what is yawning open before us here. And if we are brave enough to take the step, the reward will be uh, better health for all of us. That's perfect. How well do you think we are getting the message? We as a society. Oh, not at all. Uh, it's all a matter of, um, of let's just hunker down till we find a vaccine and uh, we get a vaccine or a pill and then get on with our business of ham sandwiches and T-bone steaks and get back to normal like we were. And we'll have learned nothing if, if that's the, the route we choose to go. Um, we'll, uh, we're going to wind up uh, bereft of, uh, of so much uh, wealth, social interactions, uh, the natural world, etc. Um, it's, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of conspiracy theories, and we can, we can talk about it. And this has been just a field day for people who have all sorts of wild uh, ideas about, uh, about what's going on. But there's no question that um, the incompetence um, and the confusion uh, that's uh, permeating our response is creating uh, missteps and and major mistakes that it might as well be a conspiracy. It's, it's having that same effect as far as us not getting ahead of this thing and destroying our economy and so many people. Uh, we're, uh, we're, we're just doing a dreadful job from how the economics have been responded to, uh, how the medical side has been re responded to. Uh, it, we're uh, we're uh, you know, we're only in the you know the bottom of the well, the the bottom of the first inning. Uh, the the virus is still at bat. People think this is over. It's not, and um, and and we're not doing very well. And we can talk about the specifics, uh, but uh, by and large, we're we're batting next to zero as far as successes go go here. So I'm, I'm very concerned. Go ahead. What can anyone do as an individual? Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, at this point, um, our you know, government response seems semi-hopeless. We, we may blunder into some sort of equilibrium as the months grind on here. But as far as the individual, what do you do? Um, the background 
uh, pattern has been, uh, and all the numbers are going back and forth. It's more no more dangerous than the flu. Yeah, it's much more dangerous, et cetera, et cetera. But it seems the reality is when we look at uh, all the antibodies that are seem to be popping up everywhere, that there have been millions of, of either silent infections or people just get a day or two of cough and muscle aches and low-grade fever, and it goes away uh, like a typical viral infection does. Uh, and uh, and that's kind of comforting, and, uh, and and that has to be factored into any equation of, of reopening here. The you know most people are going to do okay, and you know it's become an old litany already. The folks who are going to run into problems um, are the folks with the pre-existing medical conditions. Uh, first and foremost, above it is is on that list is. Now, obesity, but along with that comes the diabetes and the clogged arteries and the uh, congestive heart failure. We can talk about the mechanisms about why heart failure and high blood pressure and diabetes set you up for the complications, but they do. So what's the individual to do? Uh, well, we're, this program is Main Street Vegan, and, uh, and the reality is that if we adopt a plant-based, if the individual, if you just decide at this point that the that the chili dogs and the pepperoni pizzas cost too much as far as your health goes, which we, we've been saying for a long time for all sorts of reasons, uh, clogged arteries and cancer reasons, et cetera. But at this point, if people go to a plant-based diet, what they start to do from that very day is they start to melt away those complications that uh, that may be present in your body, the diabetes, the high blood pressure, the obesity, uh, the clogged arteries, you, they start to melt away. You know, and, uh, and as your body reforms itself into a leaner, healthier, more functional body with a uh, better immune system, because without a bunch of sugar and fat in your blood, your immune cells work better, uh, people can take this next four, six, eight, twelve weeks, and 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 run healthy meal after healthy meal after healthy meal through their bodies, and when we finally emerge into this new world, uh, if you do run into the virus, you're more lucky, you're more likely to uh, have a, a relatively minor infection from it. There's no guarantees in this life, and this is a scary virus, and in and in some folks, uh, it just does evil, uh, terrible things. Um, but the best thing to do is get your own body healthy. And that means uh, flush healthy, you know, those salads and soups and, and steamed veggies through your tissues meal after meal. So when you walk outside, your body's full of the antioxidants and phytonutrients and your immune system, uh, your lymphocytes are humming right along. Um, this is the best way to fortify yourself uh, to go out into a world that's always had viruses in it. Uh, our immune system deals with viruses all the time. And, uh, and so get yourself healthy. And, and it's not by taking handfuls of zinc tablets and vitamin C tablets. Um, the, the food is the medicine. The, the, the salads are the, are the, are the medicine. The, the vegetable soups are the medicine. Uh, fortify yourself with that. Get past your chronic diseases. And at least you'll have... Uh, the best chance of navigating this post-viral world with uh, with the least amount of anxiety, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens from there. But uh, you know, caveat emptor, buyer beware. You know, uh, uh, caveat uh, uh, body wearer. You know, you got a body, take care. You know, beware and take care of it by uh, fortifying yourself with healthy foods and lifestyles. 
I think that the workings of the immune system are are really perplexing to to most lay people. I was watching some uh, physicians online who were saying that what we're doing now with our sheltering in place is actually weakening our immune systems because we're supposed to be interacting with viruses and bacteria every day and this is how we strengthen our immunity and now we're all going to go out into the world with less immunity than we had before and we'll be susceptible to all kinds of things is there any truth in that and if there is can we do anything about it uh, there's minimal truth, I think, um, in that uh, I don't think these these six, eight weeks or whatever have, have weakened people's immune systems per se. Uh, the best thing to do is get outside every day. Uh, no one's telling you that you've got to uh, cluster or cluster away in your, uh, in, in your bedroom closet. Uh, get outside, breathe the air, um, uh, walk through the, the city park. There's, there's going to be bacteria and viruses and sunshine and, and the natural world's going to be out there. That's, that's absolutely as essential as a, as a healthy diet. And, uh, and, and I think that would be enough. You know, it's just a question of, of this one particular virus. But as we get outside, uh, you're, you're going to be uh, contacting microbes as, as you walk and breathe, etc. Uh, and like it or not, the societies are opening up. Uh, you're going to be going to, you know, restaurants and, you know, to at least to sit outside. And, and uh, you're going to be contacting things and surfaces and people. Uh, so the, the, the days of the absolute quarantine, I think, are coming to an end regardless. So our immune system will uh, uh, be able to encounter, I think, enough microbes that if it runs into the coronavirus, it won't totally collapse. And again, the other corollaries, you know, we talked about a healthy diet, but also get enough sleep is so important. Don't eat a bunch of sugar. Don't eat a bunch of oils. Don't eat a bunch of processed foods. Um, you know, minimize the stress in your life. Don't argue with people. Um, you know, it's a, it's a total package there as far as uh, you know, sprucing up your immune system. And if you do that, I'm not going to have great anxiety. I went out to... Uh, my wife fosters kittens. I brought them back to the uh, to the animal shelter today, and I had no anxiety when we uh, uh, when I was out in the world. It was lovely to be outside today. So um, uh, I don't think there are weakened immune systems. Now these two doctors mentioned um, that um, that when we start uh, increasing our social interactions, uh, there's going to be a spike in in uh, admissions and sicknesses because our immune system has been weakened. No. Uh, because there's going to be a lot more people encountering this virus uh, and trading it around. And a lot of the Americans are not healthy. And a lot of these people are, are going to get uh, very, very ill from this thing. But I don't think it's because our immune systems have been uh, deprived or, or suppressed. Uh, this, is, uh, this is an aggressive virus, and it's uh, pretty contagious, a lot more than the flu. Yes. So um, it's a total package. Keep yourself healthy, but uh, I'm not going to have a tremendous amount of fear uh, when I when I go outside. That's for sure. Well, I think the the fear probably lessens the immunity too. Sure. So, um, so Dr. Clapper, um, you and I are of similar vintage, and we're always hearing as things open up, well, we're going to let younger people go back to work and <laughs> go out into the world. But older people who are more at risk should probably shelter in place longer. Is this going to cause some kind of new generation gap? It seems like there's so much us versus them. I would hate for young versus old to get in there, too. 
Oh my, welcome to the unbrave new world. Yes, <laughs> uh, that's, uh, uh, that's a, a possibility. But of course, there's the issue of your chronological age versus your biological age. And uh, uh, I'm 72. Uh, but I, you know, I, I pedal my bike 20 miles every morning, my stationary bike, I uh, do, do push-ups, I, uh, I'm not on any medications, uh, my cholesterol, everything's normal. Uh, I, I, I don't think I, my biological age is that. And, and as I said, I, I have no, uh, no real fear of going out uh, into, the, into, the, into the natural world. Um, those folks who are old and frail, um, it's an issue, and, and the virus is harsh with them, and we've got to decide what to do. And uh, I don't want to monopolize all the time, but what should have happened is that, and these young, those two doctors on their film, they, they said some things that I, I just definitely disagree with, but a few things, a few little lines were absolutely right on. And they say, you know, you, you know, if there's illnesses, you quarantine the sick people, don't quarantine the well people. And they're right. And, and, um, and we should be opening up old uh, uh, hospital buildings when a building, when a medical center builds a new hospital, the old one's still there and they mothball it. Well, they should open it up and make that a, a COVID hospital. They should take old abandoned hotels and turn them into COVID re rehabilitation recovery centers. And when someone shows sign of, of not only the cough and the fever and the respiratory distress, uh, most important with a positive COVID test. You whisk them right off to one of these centers, let them stay there for a couple of weeks, give them great nursing care until they recover. Uh, and that's how proper quarantine should be done. And that allows the rest of the society to semi-function. Well, of course, we're not willing to do that. And uh, so uh, so the, the older frail folks, yeah, they may have to shelter in place for a while, but they need to start their own rehab program. It's a great motivator. They need to start taking those walks outside every day. They need to start eating healthier. You can still get rid of diabetes and high blood pressure, even if you're 85. I've seen that. So um, use this time to get healthy and and hope our politicians get smart with, with their quarantine policy. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, and economically, they really blew it, I think. They should have just done what they've done in European countries. Um, just keep the paychecks going. Just go to all the employers, say, what, what's, your, what's your payroll every month? 100000 boom, we'll top that up into your savings your account. Every month, you just keep your employers on, employees on the payroll, keep their paychecks coming. They'll be able to pay their rent and make their car payments. You, you don't have to fire them. They don't have to go in on unemployment. They won't lose their health insurance. Just keep the paychecks coming. That's all. Just keep everybody in place. It would have relieved all the anxiety and not hit all this unemployment chaos that we're having. But they blew that chance there. And uh, and now we've got the consequences of 30 million people unemployed. Uh, I'm just really dis distressed at, at the government's response. As good, it might as well be a conspiracy for their ineptitude and their lack of vision, uh, both how they're handling it medically and economically. But, to, but meanwhile, everybody keep yourself healthy and There'll be a background of these infections rattling around the society for the next year or two. Uh, they, it should slowly snuff out as the herd immunity increases and keep yourself healthy in the meantime till that happens. So, Dr. Claver, you've mentioned the word conspiracy a few times, so I'm just going to ask you about that. There are a lot of theories out there that are that you know some of them just seem uh, just off the wall, and others seem like, well, gosh, I don't know, maybe. And yet I think because so many of us are, are in and watching media and, and being online all the time, 
all these things are kind of cycling past us and it's very hard to know how to filter things out. So so as a scientist, as a physician, and, and also a seeker of truth, I mean, I know you well enough to know that if there were some grand conspiracy out there that completely went against everything we're being told by the so-called establishment, you would you would let us know that. And yet, as a voice of sanity, what do we do with all this stuff that's um, whizzing by? Yeah, um, you, you disregard most of it um, because some of it might even be true. It just doesn't matter um, whether Anthony Fauci has, uh, gave a million dollars to the lab in Wuhan. None of that matters uh, at this point. Um, what matters is getting th- each individual getting through this by keeping yourself healthy. Uh, whether it's it escaped from a lab, ooh, they, they like that one, uh, that makes it sound really uh, conspiratorial. But as it, it, might, it might have, those that, that Wuhan lab certainly had coronaviruses in it, uh, but I don't think they were making any evil bioweapon or anything. They, were, they knew that this thing was going to jump out of those markets and they're trying to study it and maybe come up with a vaccine or a treatment for it. Um, the, uh, this whole thing is about taking away your rights and your liberties and all that. These are scared people who, in the face of this very contagious virus, really don't know the answers. And you're seeing all sorts of flailing around. Uh, but uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, again, it's, it's sad and pathetic, but, uh, but I don't think it's conspiratorial. And it still doesn't change anything as far as when you have to go out shopping or you have to go out to uh, to get a meal, uh, how can you do it with the least amount of anxiety and the most uh, assurance that you're going to get back safe and sound? Well, be smart. You know, don't go into places uh, where people are, are, you know, coughing and, uh, and, and obviously ill. Pick your social interactions carefully, but keep yourself as healthy as you can. And uh, be nice. I suppose people wear masks. I know they're saying, oh, that just keeps the viruses in the sick person, uh, but it keeps those viruses from getting out into the, uh, the atmosphere. Everybody's breathing them. Uh, the, uh, and there's the old 5G, you know, it's the phone, cell phone towers. Um, well, it's not. They, um, they don't have 5G uh, in the country of Iran, but they sure got COVID viruses. It is running through that country. This virus does not need 5G cell phone towers to spread. This virus has the has the genetic key. It knows how to get into our ACE2 receptors in our uh, in our uh, lining our blood vessels, and uh, and it's it, it won the genetic lottery. The the bats and the pangolins whipped up a fastball here, and this this virus knows how to get into our tissues, and it doesn't need cell phone towers to do that. Um, most of this just doesn't matter, and this is not Bill Gates trying to to get everybody vaccinated and there's going to be microchips in the vaccine and they'll be able to control your thoughts. It just, get, you know, get, the world gets Barnum and Bailey funny world at this point, at that point. So um, none of the, most of these just don't matter. They, they, it's keeping yourself healthy and, and keep alert and help as much as you can. Has your neighbor got enough food to eat? Uh, do you got food to eat? You, uh, and thank heavens for the folks picking up the garbage and keeping the, the lights on and, and, uh, and keeping the basic service going. Help them as much as you can. This is a time to, uh, uh, to be as positive as you can. The, conspiracy, the theories will take care of themselves. They, they just don't affect us on a, on a daily basis here. 
Well, listening to you makes me positive. So just in our last couple of minutes, are there any special foods people always want to know? Okay, I know all whole plant foods are good, but are goji berries better or something else? <laughs> right. Uh, I don't uh, I don't know of any magic elixir here. Um, certainly, you know, uh, vitamin C, et cetera, is nice. So I have a couple of navel oranges every morning. I, I, I've become a citrus fan. Uh, zinc is important. Uh, so uh, we have lots of grains and legumes and uh, and, and lentils, et cetera. Uh, no, and that colorful uh, salad is your vitamin pill. So just have something as fresh as you can every day. Uh, even frozen vegetables, canned vegetables, keep those veggies going. And the fewer animals you eat on every level, you'll be healthier and, and will be healthy as well. So keep that fresh stuff going, assuming you have access to it. Dr. Clapper, you're one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. Thank you so, so very much for sharing with us your expertise, your wisdom, but also your, your energy, your wonderful sense of calm and powerful presence. It's much appreciated. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks to Unity Online Radio and thanks to you, our listener. God bless you and eat all your veggies. You know, this too shall pass, and it's really important. Um, if you keep yourself healthy as the weeks go by, we're going to eventually see less and less of this stuff. Uh, and uh, and hopefully everyone will come out of this eating healthier with more respect for the earth and the animals. So let's use this as a teaching moment, and, and we'll get through this. And most everybody's going to do fine. We should keep our eye on that. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.